Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by EducateForLife.org. This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover on AM 1170, The Answer. Educate for Life, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you. What you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are on AM 1170, The Answer, in San Diego every Sunday from 4 to 5 p.m. You can also stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. And every day what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do here on the show is give people confidence in the Bible as the Word of God. How do we know that it's true? Is it scientifically accurate? Does it make sense from a logic perspective? What about the issues of creation and evolution? What about its moral principles? Are they applicable today? And one of the questions that comes up frequently when I'm I'm discussing this with different people, non-believers and believers alike, is what about the history that's recorded in the Bible? Is it actual real history? Or is it mythological? Are these stories that we can actually say uh, there's evidence for? Or is this something that is just made up? You know, Dr. Clifford Wilson, one of the most famous archaeologists, a very successful archaeologist, was asked at one point in his career, have you found in your research in archaeology anything that has contradicted the biblical account in a definite sense? And he responded, There have been plenty of claims that things contradict the biblical account, but the Bible has a habit of being proved right after all. He says, I well remember one of the world's leading archaeologists at Geezer rebuking a younger archaeologist who was rubbishing the Bible. He just quietly said, well, if I were you, I wouldn't rubbish the Bible. When the younger archaeologist asked why, he replied, well, it just has a habit of proving to be right after all. And that's where I stand. Professor Nelson Gluek, who I suppose would be recognized as one of the top five of the greats in biblical archaeology, gave a marvelous lecture to 100 120 American students who are interacting with the Arabs. He said, I have excavated for 30 years with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. And in matters of historical perspective, I have never yet found the Bible to be an error. What an amazing statement. I don't think there's a lot of people who know uh, about that, that the Bible is incredibly historically accurate. And today I have a special guest on the show. His name is Dr. Scott Stripling. He is an archaeologist. He actually wrote a book called The Trowel and the Truth, and uh, which is used as an archaeological textbook by several universities, and uh, very, very um, experienced archaeologist who has spent a lot of time uh, researching the archaeology of the Bible. He has a doctorate of ministry with an emphasis in ancient Near Eastern archaeology, and was also a pastor for two decades, uh, tons of experience studying the Bible and researching the Bible. Dr. Stripling, thank you very much for being on the show here with us today. Thank you, Kevin, for having me on. Yeah, it's a real honor and a privilege. And um, I wanted to ask you just in your your own kind of growing up, what is your background as far as did you grow up in a Christian family? What what eventually led you to your interest in archaeology? I did grow up in a Christian home. I always knew the stories of the Bible. My mother was very faithful to uh, teach them to me, so I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know the story of Daniel and the lion's den or David and Goliath. And uh, so I always had an interest in the Bible. And uh, in my teenage years, I became a uh, an avid Bible reader, and I was perplexed with some of the cultural background. I, I felt such a distance of thousands of years, and my desire was to go then and there, to peel back the layers of century and millennia, and to be able to go back and understand the, the cultural background that made the text relevant. So, in other words, if I could accurately understand it then and there, then with the Holy Spirit's help, I could and good hermeneutical principles, I could apply it here and now. And uh, so eventually that's what uh, led me to not only study archaeology, but to take up my trowel and go dig. 
Wow, that's that's awesome. Now, um, have you found that your uh, this digging? Have you found what you're looking for when you say, you know, I wanted to I wanted to connect those uh, dots. I wanted to be able to read those stories and and make it real. Um, has that been your experience as you've been uh, an archaeologist? Oh, absolutely. The material culture is what illuminates the text. It gives us a lens through which we can see and so many things you read in John's Gospel about. Uh, Jesus' first miracle at Cana of Galilee, turning the water into wine, and these stone jars that it specifically mentions. And it's so easy to just skip over a detail like that because it doesn't mean anything to us that they were stone jars. But, of course, once we understand the late Second Temple period context in which that was written, we know that that was part of the ritual purity that was being maintained during that period. And now, at my site at Kerbet el Makader in Israel, uh, we've excavated 83 stoneware vessels so far, and that's that material culture that I was looking for. So from coins to, to stoneware to burials to buildings, uh, it, it fleshes out the biblical text for us. Yeah, it takes it from almost kind of a one-dimensional um, book that you're reading almost to, into this kind of three-dimensional thing, changes everything about, uh, you see things in Scripture that you've never seen before. That's, uh, that's what you're saying, essentially? Well, it, it really is, and just think about the people mentioned in the New Testament, um, the rulers, Pontius Pilate, Herod the Great, uh, Tiberius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, uh, Herod Agrippa, Agrippa II, Festus Felix. Well, all of those names that are familiar to a Bible reader, we have all of their coins You know, from our site. We have 686 coins that we've excavated so far, and every ruler mentioned in the New Testament, uh, we have their coins. And so... It's, you know, you read about Pontius Pilate, and uh, then you excavate a Pontius Pilate coin in a first century context, and you think, wow, you know, here is the person who condemned Jesus to death. No, that's fantastic. And what, what ends up happening to those coins? Where, where do they go after you excavate them? Well, we first of all have them conserved. Uh, there's a process that we take the coins through to make sure that they don't disintegrate. But uh, once they go through this treatment, sometimes it's some chemicals we need to use, but uh, they're, they're clean, they're conserved, and then uh, some of them initially we can already read and tell whether it's a Hasmonean coin or whether it's a, a revolt coin, but some of them have to be cleaned. And then uh, my numismatist, my coin expert, uh, who is a Ph.D. in Israel, uh, gets the coins next, and then he studies them, and then he sends to me the uh, preliminary season report on the coins, which we're always excited to get, and uh, then ultimately, in the end, it's, uh, it's written up into our final report. Now, some of the coins end up on display. For example, we have a museum exhibit that ran all last year in Houston at Houston Baptist University, and then uh, it's moved this year to Five Points Museum in Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, then we're discussions right now about where it will go next year. So some of our artifacts like these coins end up on display in museums and so forth. Well, now, now when you're, um, who funds this for you to be able to go over there and do this? And did, do these coins actually prov help provide the funds to be able to do further archaeological research or, or how does that work? I wish that they did, but uh, of course we cannot sell these. They're part of the historical record and ultimately all of this belongs to the the, the nation of Israel. It's in storage in the Israeli Antiquities Authority. We can retrieve it whenever we want for study and publication or for museum display, but ultimately after I'm long dead and gone, it will still be in a storage area in Israel so that future generations can also access the, uh, the material. So it's not that it directly provides income for us. We unfortunately, or I guess from my perspective, at least, uh, we don't have any organization that underwrites us. Um, we don't have a university that has budgeted to support us. It's just uh, individuals, friends and family and people who believe in the work that we're doing that contribute and uh, enable us to, to do the work that we're doing in Israel. So it, it's almost kind of like a, a missionary work to a certain extent. Well, I think that you certainly could look at it like that. We are a 501. When I say we, I'm referring to the Associates for Biblical Research. Uh, our website, by the way, is BibleArchaeology.org, or the specific DIG website is Makader, 
M-A-Q-A-T-I-R.org. And I want to focus, um, I do want to focus on McCotter. Um, we're coming up on a break here, but um, when we come back, my guest today is Dr. Scott Stripling, and uh, already very interesting. You know, a lot of people think that the stories in the Bible are mythical, and they wonder what evidence is there that I should believe this. And yet, if we really get into the archaeology, we find out there's all kinds of reasons to believe that this is not just a spiritual book in the sense that um, we have to take it on blind faith, but that this is an actual historical narrative of real history, and there's plenty of evidence that that's the case. When we come back, we're actually going to talk with Dr. Stripling specifically on the dig he's he's participating in in Jerusalem, and he's actually the director of Makadar, and um, very interesting conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wake up, America. Diets don't work. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and most of us have dutifully dieted our way there. Research indicates the average woman spends 17 years of her life on a diet. Stop dieting. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Activate the miracle and lose weight permanently with healing foods. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188. Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family-owned, Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Maine and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at AM 1170, TheAnswer.com. My website is EducateForLife.org, where you can listen to a recording of this show and previous shows. My guest today is Dr. Scott Stripling. And he is uh, an archaeologist. Been um, He is the director of a dig at Kerbet al Makadar, and that is Makadar.org. If you'd like to find out more about his current dig and his current project, and uh, he also works for the Associates for Biblical Research, and that is BibleArchaeology.org. These are this is a lot of great information to be able to share with somebody who maybe says, "So why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you have a biblical worldview? What what? Why do you have so much confidence that Christ is true? That that Christ rose from the dead. And while we may not be able to say that specifically um, archaeology, what we find, these coins that Dr. Stripling is finding and uh, all this other, this pottery and all these things, while we may not be able to say this proves that Jesus walked on water, this proves that Jesus rose from the dead. What it does tell us is that the history that is recorded in the Bible is reliable. And it gives us that much more confidence that the stories that are recorded in the Bible are true. And uh, Dr. Stripling, um, we were talking uh, before we went to the break. We were talking about your dig in Kerbet El Makadar, and um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Where that's specifically located, and, and what you're doing there? Absolutely, that's my favorite topic of all to talk about. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the dig is uh, located nine miles north of Jerusalem. So, if one were to take Highway 60 north uh, into what is known as the West Bank or the disputed territories. We are in Security Zone C, which is, again, referred to normally as the disputed territories. Now, now, Dr. Uh, Stripling, when you say disputed territories, can you explain that for our audience a little bit? I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to understand exactly what that is. Right. I know you hear these terms in the media, sort of, you, what the West Bank, and you know that there's, there's divisions. But to sort of give you a simple answer, uh, Area A is Israeli-controlled. Area B is has been turned over to the Palestinians, like Jericho and, and Nazareth and places like this. And the West Bank refers to the West Bank of the Jordan River, that territory. And then Area C, which is where we are, is the disputed area, and that's where it's still kind of up for, up for grabs uh, or for political fighting uh, who's going to ultimately control that area. Now, are you in any kind of... uh, We're in the tribal territory of Benjamin, if that may help you. Okay, okay. Now, are you in any kind of um, danger there when you're doing uh, archaeology, when you're you're digging things up and so forth? Oh, no, we're not. Uh, Statistically, you're safer in Israel than you are in the United States, uh, (laughs) for your listeners, but... uh, 
you know, we do have, you know, the political realities are we have a Jewish village on one side of us and a Palestinian village on the other side of us. And there is conflict between them, but we've never in all these years since 1995 been in any sort of a dangerous situation. And, uh, and you know, we feel quite safe there. Now, when you say you've been there since 1995, so are you, are you traveling back and forth between Makadar and uh, the U.S.? Are you, um, how, 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 many, how much time do you spend over there in uh, Israel? That's a good question. Most digs in Israel, including ours, uh, occur seasonally. It's not a year-round project. Mm-hmm. The only ones that happen sort of in a, a condensed period like that would be salvage excavations. Say a, a highway was being built and something had to be excavated over a six-month period. Uh, usually it's uh, in a season, and what we do is uh, we're digging for three weeks in the summer and two weeks in the winter. Um, so, you know, we're there, I personally am there about a month in the summer and a month in the winter. And then in between, you know, we're processing our finds and writing our articles and raising money and, you know, speaking at conferences and, you know, doing all the things that we have to do to keep uh, keep our uh, our head up yeah yeah now um i've heard people say you know i've, I've talked to several people you know that sometimes archaeology can be relatively um uh i don't want to say boring but um you know how much time is there between when you find something that you're kind of like oh this is fantastic we found this and uh, i mean are you going multiple days with finding nothing or is this something you find things all the time what you know, how, how does that work uh, out? We, every day, absolutely. Every single square, every single day, uh, there are you know, some finds. I mean, we, we excavate thousands of pieces of pottery a day. Um, we we uh, excavate coins every day. Um, you know, uh, walls, floors. Yeah, so it's, you just never know what the next day is going to bring. And, of course, that's what gets you out of bed at 4 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, you never know what you're going to find. Well, that's just it. You know, oil lamps and and tools, pliers, ancient pliers, jewelry. This is this is just like Indiana Jones or something, right? Well, it is. It's, <laughs> it's not quite as glamorous <laughs> as, as tomb raiding, but uh, yeah, yeah the these artifacts are very important to us, and it's very important that we find them in context or in situ, undisturbed, and uh, then that gives us stratification and enables us to date the material around it, which is extremely important. One of our greatest enemies, if you will, are looters. And this is a problem across the Middle East, but uh, we're no exception. People who are going around and dig, digging around, using metal detectors and trying to find coins and so forth, and they're, they're disturbing the stratification. So when we do get sealed low size, this is extremely valuable to us. Okay, ex- explain um, the importance of stratification and sealed loci. I, I don't think those are terms that the average uh, <laughs> person is familiar with. Okay, well, stratification means layering. Over time, one, one city, if you will, gets buried, or one level of occupation gets buried, and another one is built on top of it. Let's say a city is destroyed by natural disaster, by enemy invasion, or whatever, and then it's rebuilt on top of the ruins of the old city. And this is over time what forms a profile, what's called a tell. Mm -hmm. So you have layering, and the deeper you go into that, the older the material gets. Um, And if that gets mixed up, then you can't tell what's older or what's younger, is what you're saying. Well, that's right. Uh, much more challenging for us to do so. So when we do find undisturbed areas, then it's uh, of a greater value to us. Okay. And then, and then uh, are there guards around these sites? You said that you have, you have trouble with looters. Is that, uh, are there actually people, you know, watching out for that or is that? Well, yes and no. I'm yes. The government does have security teams and people do get arrested from time to time, but there are 30,000 archeological sites in Israel. And about 300 of them are, you know, being actively scientifically excavated right now. So there's just more than they can possibly keep an eye on. And unless you have a site that's, you know, of extreme historic significance or importance, then, you know, they're not going to post guards there to protect it. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when we are actually in the field, we do try to, you know, provide some of our own security to protect the site, at least during our dig season. Okay. And then... And then um, what's one of the most significant finds for you uh, throughout your time, uh, you know, as an archaeologist and in Makadar, um, what has one of, been one of the greatest finds for you that for you really um, either validated the Bible or just 
uh, was really special? Hmm. Well, there have have been many, but uh, one that stands out to me, I guess, because it's very recent, uh, or two, I guess. I'll give you one that pertains to the Old Testament and one to the New Testament. Um, In 2013, the final day of our summer dig, we excavated a scarab, an Egyptian scarab, and a sealed locust underneath the floor of a first century house. And this scarab turned out, it was voted by Christianity Today as the number one find in the country of Israel in the year 2013. And the reason that it was so significant is because we can date it concretely to the 18th Egyptian dynasty, which is the time of the conquest from uh, the exodus from Egypt and the conquest of Canaan. We had been arguing for years that our, our pottery dated to the end of the late Bronze Age, LB1, around the year 1400, which again is the biblical time of the exodus and conquest. Um, others on the sort of more liberal persuasion have, you know, given a lot of pushback on that and said that we were forging our dates and we were trying to make the, the dates fit the biblical account, which of course was not true. But uh, with this scarab that was from a sealed context, there was no way to fake this, no way to forge that, and it confirmed essentially that our dating had been right all along. Wow. That was very important to us. Oh, that's that's um, extremely significant. From a New Testament context, that very same day that we discovered the uh, scarab, which was the last day of the dig season, by the way, we have a maxim in archaeology that the last day of the dig, something big always happens. Oh, yeah. Well, well, you know what, Dr. Dr. Stripling, I'm going to interrupt you right here. Okay. He's about to uh, give us uh, uh, what, what they found on the last day of the dig here, so don't go away. That's a great teaser to uh, enter the break here. We'll be right back with Dr. Scott Stripling. Wake up, America. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and it's not your fault. End the guilt, frustration, and pain. Stop dieting, starving, and depriving yourself. Free yourself from the bondage of feeling trapped in your body. Forgive yourself. Achieve permanent weight loss with healing foods. You can love food again. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Learn how to activate the miracle. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188. What do Panera Bread and other leading companies have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at ExpressFixCoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee, 619-867-3858. Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We are on AM 1170, The Answer, in San Diego every Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. But if you are not in San Diego and you want to listen to the show, you can stream the show at am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org, where you can listen to a recording of this show or past shows. I also offer classes online. I actually have a specific class called Bible Myth or Fact, in which we address all the issues that people have with or questions they have with the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? How do we know the right books are in the Bible? How do they choose what books are in the Bible? Is the Bible scientifically accurate? Um, You know, does the Bible have errors? All these kinds of questions that people have. And there are answers to these questions. And the question we're dealing with today is what about the historical evidence for the Bible? You know, if you compare the Book of Mormon to the Bible, They are vastly different in the evidence they have for the history that they propose. And the Book of Mormon literally has not a single archaeological find that validates the history that was recorded by Joseph Smith um, and that he said was written by uh, Mormon and Moroni. And yet we look at the Bible and... The evidence is overwhelming that its history is true. And and sadly, a lot of people just aren't aware of this. They just don't know the amount of archaeological evidence that is being found. Uh, And according to our guest here, Dr. Scott Stripling, this is being found on a daily basis, um, all kinds of archaeological evidence, 30,000 dig sites in Israel alone, um, let alone all all the Middle East, the the amount of evidence there is for the truth of the Bible. And uh, when we left off... Uh, Dr. Stripling was about to tell us what they found on the last day of the dig. His site, by the way, again, is uh, Magadar. Am I saying that right again, Dr. Stripling? Magadar. Sorry about that. Magadar. That's M-A-Q-A-T-I-R dot O-R-G. And then he is a 
uh, part of the Associates for Biblical Research, and their site is BibleArchaeology.org. Great resources for those of you out there who are trying to give some evidence, maybe to your friends or neighbors or coworkers, about the truth of the Bible and the biblical worldview. So, uh, Dr. Dr. Stripling, I won't leave our audience in, um, in suspense any longer here. What, what was the uh, find on the last day of the dig there? Well, not only did we find the scarab that I was mentioning earlier that became the number one archaeological find in Israel in 2013, but we also found a, an underground cavern. We thought it was a mikvah. Now, the, the mikvah was the Jewish ritual immersion baths that uh, came about around the year 100 B.C. They were used through the, the first century on up to 70 A.D., of course, when you have the destruction of not only the temple, but largely of Jewish uh, culture. And uh, we've excavated several of these at uh, Kerbet el Makader. It's a, a sort of a forerunner of Christian baptism. We thought we were excavating another one, but when we got to the bottom of it, it opened up and there was a large underground cavern with multiple passageways through it. My immediate instinct was that it was part of a hiding system from the Great Revolt in the first century. We know, of course, in 66 to 70 AD that the what's called the first revolt occurred and it was crushed violently by the Roman armies and of course Jesus had predicted this in uh, the Olivet Discourse mm-hmm. chapter 24 and uh, you know I'd studied and read about these <clears throat> hiding systems all my life and, and you know then to actually see this which I was not expecting to see it just was, was such a fantastic experience we uh, came back that next winter and excavated not only the, the large cavern, which turned out to be an olive press cave um, with beautiful in-situ olive presses, but uh, they had repurposed it as a hiding system, digging tunnels off and breaking through into large cisterns uh, so that they would have airflow from the surface. And uh, so it turned out to be full of archaeological uh, material, and we had uh, abundant evidence within it of the uh, of the great revolt and so you know here you read the words of jesus and then you see the fulfillment of it in the archaeological record yeah and this is uh for you personally this has just only increased your faith and trust in the bible um have you ever had uh been able to discuss this kind of evidence with others and uh seen it really kind of bolster their faith also uh very often i mean on a daily basis you know this is my passion and this mm. is what i do and so i'm fortunate to be able to engage lots of people and you know i have lots of friends who are coming from different persuasions and uh you know we have open dialogues about this uh my my students my friends my family or anyone who who will sit still gets an earful <laughs> <laughs> as you might imagine yeah um i was invited to speak last october at uh, conferences in hong kong and taiwan sponsored by the Asia Society, and I was the only Christian uh, speaker or archaeologist uh, on the group, and the others were Israeli archaeologists who were Jewish in their faith, but uh, don't take the same view of Scripture that that we take as far as uh, inspiration goes, and they've been trained to be leery and that you shouldn't use the archaeology and the Bible should be separated and bifurcated. You shouldn't try to bring the two together. Which is strange. That is strange Uh, to me. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't the Jewish uh, people go, hey, this actually validates our our book, our Bible. I mean, I, mean, um, I know of archaeological finds uh, from the Old Testament that are absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, the one that comes to mind immediately that's pretty famous is Hezekiah's Tunnel. And uh, they, they try to separate Hezekiah's Tunnel from the actual biblical historical uh, story. Um, it's not, not that they would try to separate it, because on that particular one, it's impossible to do. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Thelalam inscription. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they have been trained and, and taught that, you know, biblical studies is one thing, archaeology is, is another. And in, the, in academia, you know, the left, they're pretty brutal. You know, they'll, they'll sort of ostracize people who... Um, who are who have faith and believe that that the things that are mentioned in the Bible are are provable, and mm. uh, so they've been taught to, to shy away from that, to be careful. Have you experienced uh, any of that kind of ostracism in your own um, y- y- in your own studies? Have you experienced that kind of uh, pressure? Yes, but if I may, let me finish. Okay, sorry about, about that. Both. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so with being spending a week with these scholars in uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. 
uh, you know, they're leery at the beginning as, as I'm making my presentations, and we had huge crowds. The first day we had 4,000 people that showed up to hear about Bible and archaeology. Can you wow. This? Wow, that's, you know, and if that's incredible. 100 here, we'd be thrilled. That's like a crusade. Uh, You're 40 so, sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, we had huge crowds that came out in, in these Asian countries, just very eager to hear what we had to say. And I just made the same presentation that I would always make. I'm talking about Jericho and I and other biblical sites. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the archaeology shows. And, of course, my enthusiasm is a little bit contagious. And, <laughs> uh, you know, caught on. And uh, you, by the end of the week, you know, we had built a bridge. You know, they had said, you know, this guy's not crazy. Uh, there's reasons. And even if we're not ready to say we agree with him on everything, you know, th- there's reasons. You know, he's got evidence, and you, you can intellectually get there. Yeah, it it actually opens the door. I like to I like to say, you know, apologetics doesn't save people, but it what it does is it opens the door for the gospel. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and um and that's incredible. And now, um, we're going to be coming right back here. My guest is Dr. Scott Stripling, and uh, he's just sharing with us uh, about his dig and um, his experience with archaeology and just how it's bolstered his faith and uh, how he has uh, many opportunities to show the truth of the Bible through the scriptures. So we're going to be coming right back and continue this discussion with Dr. Scott Stripling. His website is... Um, Bible, I'm sorry, BibleArchaeology.org or uh, org. I have a hard time saying that, org. <laughs> okay, and my website is EducateForLife.org. We will be right back. Wake up, America. Diets don't work. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and most of us have dutifully dieted our way there. Research indicates the average woman spends 17 years of her life on a diet. Stop dieting. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Activate the miracle and lose weight permanently with healing foods. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188. your first steps toward pain-free feet with just one call. Dr. Roy Phillips will take time with you whether you need top quality orthotics, relief from ingrown or infected nails, fasciitis, bursitis, or surgical solutions. If you've been told that you need surgery, call Dr. Roy Phillips, 858-272-1091. Learn more online at drphillipspodiatrist.com, 858-272-1091. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. You can also stream the show at AM 1170, com. And again, my website is educateforlife.org. That's E-D-U-C-A-T-E-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.org. And uh, what we're talking about today is we're talking about archaeology in the Bible. What evidence do we have from archaeology that the Bible is true? For those of you just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Scott Stripling. And, you know, for a long time, uh, there was this idea that King David um, was not a real figure. People said, hey, if this guy is uh, real, if this biblical character was real, then we would find some sort of archaeological evidence for him. And um, it wasn't until about 1993 that there was some evidence uh, found referencing the house of David found at the archaeological site uh, in the city of Dan. It's called the Tel Dan Stell. And this seems to happen over and over again. We find that people criticize the Bible. They, they say the Bible's uh, historically inaccurate or it's got its dates wrong. And then, all, and then there's a, an archaeological discovery that validates the Bible. And uh, But that's not that's not always the case. What, what we're seeing in the news just a little while back, uh, there was claims that Jesus' tomb was found. And um, I'd like to get Dr. Uh, Stripling's um, comments on this. He was actually uh, contacted by the media to find out uh, his opinions on this. And uh, Dr. Stripling, can you um, talk about the... Uh, this claim that the tomb of Jesus was found? Well, absolutely. They're basically claiming that the family tomb of Jesus was found. This is in the Talpiot neighborhood in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Jerusalem. And the tomb was actually excavated back in 1980. There were a number of ossuaries or stone bone boxes for secondary burial. Many of them had names on them, which were very common first century names, like Joseph, James, Mary, and so forth. Uh, Judah, you know, typical first century uh, Jewish names. 
the sensationalist that got a hold of this tried to portray it like, well, these are all names that are members of Jesus' family. They're all in the same tomb. Oh, and by the way, including the, the tomb of Jesus. So, I mean, this kind of changes your view of Christianity because this means that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. His bones are still uh, in this supposed Talbiot tomb in Jerusalem. Of course, they always release this stuff around Easter to, you know, try to get a, a rise out of us Christians. Sure, sure. It really works. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so uh, there is absolutely no reason to put any reliability uh, into this. If you go back and talk to the people that they claim, the experts that support their views, these experts have adamantly come out and denied that they ever said what they're quoted as saying. Uh, in addition to that, one of the archaeologists who, who actually excavated the tomb back in 1980 is a, a friend of mine. He also adamantly denies uh, any of the case that's being made by this sensationalist producer. And, and uh, the, you know, it's kind of sad because they've, they've made a fortune sort of sensationalizing Bible and archaeology. And those of us who are doing the hard grunt work down in the trenches, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we struggle to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fortune off of sensationalism. Yeah. And um, now you are a nonprofit. You, ABR is a nonprofit. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So if people want to support your ministry, they can actually do that. Can they do that through your website? Absolutely. They can go to our website at uh, either BibleArchaeology.org or org. And if they specifically want to support the dig, um, they can just designate their, uh, their gift in that manner. And it would be greatly appreciated. And if anyone would like to come on the dig, we had five cancellations that just occurred yesterday. So we have a few spots that have just opened up. And if anyone would like to come, we'll contact us and we'll get you plugged in for this summer. Oh, that, that is fantastic. What an incredible opportunity to go and um, just firsthand be digging up um, evidence that validates the Bible. Uh, incredible. Um, I'll absolutely encourage people to go on that dig and to uh, get involved with your organization. And can they also get... We, we, would, we would let you come, too. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, I may take you up on that for sure. Uh, okay. that's, that's That's amazing. Um, now, also, uh, Dr. Stripling, can they... Um, what kind of publications does ABR put out that um, people could use that would be a benefit to them in their uh, walk with the Lord? That's a great question. Our website has a, an abundance of fantastic material that really illuminates the biblical text that I know your audience would enjoy. So I would enjoy them, uh, encourage them to peruse our, our website, just go to the bookstore there, and there they'll see not only my book, but books by Dr. Bryant Wood, Dr. Craig Evans, and others who are who are working with us. Uh, we also publish a magazine quarterly called Bible and Spade, and it is Bible archaeology from a conservative perspective with fantastic articles in there and really is a, is a must, must get a hold of. Those who have the Logos Bible software program can add on Bible and Spade as part of their Logos program also. Or you can join ABR. It's only $35 a year, and then you get the, uh, the subscription that will come to you a hard copy. Okay. Now, um, you know, in history, you know, in the history of archaeology, as far as people digging up things about the Bible, I know there's some of the, the famous ones. Um, they used to claim that Luke was unreliable because of Polytarch, his, his use of the word Polytarch in Acts 17, 6, and 8. And people said, hey, we've never found any archaeological evidence for this. And um, yet he was later vindicated. Is that right, what I'm hearing here? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And numerous examples in in. Luke and Acts in particular, um, you know, one that was popular for a while. Of course, they, they, nobody ever apologizes, like this stuff that David was not a real person. Yeah. Well, after the, the House of David inscription was found, you know, nobody ever issues an apology. They just move on to the next criticism. Yeah, so what ends up happening is you get, an, you get a, the, the general population has this idea in their head that somehow the Bible is inaccurate when, in fact, it's vindicated again and again. That's exactly right. And, you know, everyone has, has presuppositions, and, and I'm upfront about mine, mm -hmm. but just because one has presuppositions doesn't mean one is intellectually dishonest with, with evidence. It's not like we're going out there and creating these inscriptions ourselves, okay? We're just uncovering what's there. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you ever um, do you ever do any kind of video work with these digs so that people can uh, kind of see, um, you know, kind of be there with you to a, to a certain extent? 
Uh, yes, we do. Uh, on the website, you can watch some of our videos. Also on YouTube, type in either my name or Associates for Biblical Research, and you'll see a bunch of good video. Um, also, we do have documentary teams that, uh, for example, this summer, there's a Chinese documentary team that will be spending several days on the site with us. And um, also, Logos Bible Software is going to be coming out to do a little filming on the site as well. I, you know, I find it interesting that you've traveled to Asia, and now you're talking about a Chinese team that's going to be there on the site with you. Um, is the, does, do the Chinese, um, specifically as a culture, do they have a, a big interest in this kind of stuff that you're, you're doing here? I, is there a relationship there? What, what's happening Christianity is growing very rapidly in, in the Far East, and uh, there's a tremendous interest and hunger for solid, conservative, biblical scholarship much, much more accepted uh, there than it is in the West. Uh, and so as a result of my trip to China is how this documentary team came about. That's great. You know, um, we're coming up on another break here, but um, uh, Dr. Stripling, in your mind, uh, not necessarily a dig that you've dug up, but uh, is there anything that for you is kind of, you know, that our audience can go, I want to grab onto that, kind of keep that in my back pocket as one of the greatest archaeological finds validating the Bible, something that um, you, you might, uh, they might be able to use to, you know, talk to their friends or relatives, uh, something that is just uh, an amazing um, compliment to the truth of the biblical narrative. Is, is there anything in your mind that kind of pops up like that? Sure, there are many, but I'll give you one quick one. Okay, hold on, I, not- Doctor Doctor Stripling. Well, when we come back, um, uh, Doctor Scott Stripling is with us. He's going to be giving us uh, something that you can take home with you, something that you can put to use, something that's practical that um, we can use in our lives to make a difference in the lives of those around us and give them the credibility of the Bible. We'll be right back with Doctor Scott Stripling. Wake up, America. Two-thirds of us are overweight or obese, and it's not your fault. End the guilt, frustration, and pain. Stop dieting, starving, and depriving yourself. Free yourself from the bondage of feeling trapped in your body. Forgive yourself. Achieve permanent weight loss with healing foods. You can love food again. You can lose weight permanently. Thousands already have. Call now for a free DVD. Your body is a divine miracle. Learn how to activate the miracle. Call the Smart Food Club at 888-787-8188. Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on AM 1170, The Answer in San Diego. Uh, if you're just tuning in with us, um, whether you're on the web, if you if you want to stream it on the web, you can. It's am1170theanswer.com. My website is educateforlife.org. You can um, get recordings of all the past shows. This show will be up on the website tomorrow. So um, encourage you to... Uh, go in and review a lot of it. We've covered so much information so quickly. Um, and so it's useful to go and, and re-listen to it and um, get some of the information that Dr. Stripling has uh, shared with us. He, he is a member or a part of um, the Associates for Biblical Research, and they are a uh, group that focuses on um, giving the evidence of the Bible from archaeology. And when we when we left, um, Dr. Stripling was going to give us uh, something that has really... Um, or, or that he feels is a real compliment to the Word of God, to the Bible, and helps um, to, to something helpful for our audience to take away and uh, put to use with um, maybe their relatives or neighbors or friends. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on uh, today, Kevin, and, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk about the dig. The example I wanted to share comes from 1 Kings 9.15, and uh there is a verse here that says that when Solomon became king, he fortified three cities. You mentioned one of them earlier in the program, Gezer. The three cities were Gezer, Hatzor, and Megiddo. Very interestingly, when these three cities were excavated, Megiddo, Gezer, and Hatzor, they found identical six-chambered gates at all three sites with casemate walls connecting them. In other words, this, this showed centralized planning, which is what the Bible indicates, that Solomon greatly expanded the empire. It wasn't just you know, local chieftains building things. It, it took, you were talking about the, the northern part of the country and then the central part of the country. Yeah. Uh, this was centralized planning. And so here you have a verse that says Solomon fortified these three cities. You excavate three, these three cities. And you find identif- identical fortification systems, which obviously wouldn't happen if they were yeah. synchronisms between archaeology and the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so the the 
the point you're making here is that um, <clears throat> it's not three different people that ma did this. This was clearly, very clearly, um, uh, somebody who who was putting this all together in into a kind of a unified plan. Is what you're saying. And it dates to the time period of Solomon, which is the 10th century B.C., just like the Bible says. Coincidence? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Well, I guess if someone is predisposed to unbelief, they might say a coincidence, but I think a fair-minded person would have to say that we have an ancient text that indicates that there were fortifications done in this time period, and then we have proof that they were done. Yeah, and, and where are those three cities located? Okay, Hatsor is north of the Sea of Galilee. That was the largest of the Canaanite city-states. Hatsor, H-A-Z-O-R, Joshua chapter uh, 10 and 11. And um, Gezer is in the Shephelah in, along the Via Maris in the coastal plain, between the coastal plain and the central hill country. And uh, Megiddo is just a bit further north of there, also on the Via Maris, sort of in the north-central part of the country before you get up to the Galilee. So, and what's amazing about these places is that people can go there and visit them, a lot of them, I mean, unless they're in, you know, some sort of a place that's, uh, you know, kind of high security. But many places in Israel, we can actually go to and visit them. It's not like... Um, you know, and that gives us a lot of confidence versus, again, contrasting with the Book of Mormon. You, you literally can't visit any of the cities that are mentioned. You can't visit any dig sites that are mentioned in, for example, the Book of Mormon uh, as you can with the Bible. That's exactly right. And now they're very active. Brigham Young University has a branch in Jerusalem, and they're active in archaeology, but, well, they're sure having a hard time finding any sites that match what's uh, in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just validating more and more of the Bible. And, you know, that was actually one of my other questions was, you know, you were talking about how um, people have uh, their presuppositions and uh, maybe the Jewish archaeologists or um, do you run into a lot of atheist uh, or agnostic biblical archaeologists? Uh, we do. Uh, we are in the minority, those of us who believe the Bible. Uh, originally, the field was started by Bible believers. I mean, guys like W.F. Albright and Glick, who you quoted earlier. Yeah. Um, but uh, unfortunately, there are only a handful of digs that are being led today by, by Bible believers. And well, and why is that? What, I mean, it seems to me that, I mean, you keep uncovering more and more of this evidence. Uh, um, would you say this is going in a positive direction for the Bible, that this is actually... Um, would you say that this is actually moving in a good direction? The more we find, the more we know the Bible's true. Is, is that what you would generally say? Yes, but we have to be engaged in the arena of ideas, and that's what ABR is doing. We are in the ground, in the, in the fight, in the agenda, because if not, the evidence will be spun by people who have, have predilections or predispositions to not believe. And so this is why it's critical that people get involved, you know, begin to read, educate themselves, come on digs. Young people get trained as archaeologists, and that's what we do. We train the next generation to, uh, you know, uh, decades from now, there will be many more Bible-believing archaeologists, uh, hopefully when we finish our work. Yeah, I, I, I really believe in what ABR is doing. I think it's one of the most critical uh, efforts and ministries that exists uh, in order to help people uh, not have a blind faith, but a rational faith, a faith based on evidence. And, and truly, um, the more, the more you dig, right. Um, the more, you know, it's true and the stronger your conviction becomes. And then, um, it becomes that much easier to live out your life for Christ when it's hard. And, uh, you know, I was telling some, some, uh, some of my students that, to be a missionary in Africa and dedicate your life to serving people in that way, um, you have to have very strong convictions about the, the truth of the word. And um, if you don't have strong convictions, well, are you, you know, if you're kind of a, the Bible's a 50-50 proposition, uh, what are the chances that you're going to spend your life um, serving others and sacrificing it? You know, um, not much, but your ministry goes a long, a long ways towards helping um, people do just that. Well, we, we feel like we're part of the, uh, an important part of the overall work that God is doing in, in the earth today, which yeah. is to know him and to make him known. Absolutely. And, and I wanted to quote Second Peter 1.16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And uh, 
to a degree, we can be eyewitnesses of the history of the Bible uh, here um, following ABR and following Dr. Stripling. And um, even potentially, you know, he's invited um, you potentially to go out and dig uh, today. Um, anybody in our audience who uh, maybe feels a tug on their heart that the Holy Spirit is directing you to get involved with ABR. Um, I can't imagine uh, something quite as exciting as this. You're, you're a real live Indiana Jones literally digging up finds day after day. Um, and validating uh, the Bible. Uh, just uh, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, anything else you'd like to share with us, uh, Dr. Stripling, as we close out our show here? Well, just ask your audience to uh, pray for us. Uh, I depart for Israel on May the 20th, and then the dig starts on the 24th, uh, and then we'll be having a, a tour once the, uh, the dig's over. So we invite their prayers, and if they'll uh, uh, tune in. They can follow along on our website, watching videos of what's going on. If folks want to friend me on Facebook, they can also get daily updates from the dig site and keep up with uh, with what's happening. Uh, I did not get a chance to talk about the identification of Kirby el Makater as the Old Testament site of I and the New Testament site of Ephraim. So they'll have to go to the website to get that information. Well, um, I think, um, Dr. Stripling, if you are interested, we'll have you back on the show again um, and uh, would love to have you expound on that. And I know you're an expert in all, all kinds of areas of archaeology. So um, we're going to actually be doing uh, several shows on this. So... Um, uh, that'll be well, that'll be exciting uh, to have you back and uh, to share more of your expertise. It's been a real big blessing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I look forward to coming back. Okay. Have a fantastic night, Dr. Stripling. And uh, to all our audience, we'll see you next Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. My site is educateforlife.org, and uh, Dr. Stripling's is biblearchaeology.org. And uh, you can visit us online and uh, contact us and follow up with us. God bless you. Have a great night. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a regular feature on AM 1170, The Answer. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, exclusively on AM 1170. The answer. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more. Educate for Life on AM 1170. The answer is sponsored by educateforlife.org.